Hello, welcome to 1823 Podcast from Liverpool John Moores University. I'm Stuart Arrowsmith. This is the first episode of our series exploring what happens next in a world living with COVID-19. Over the next few episodes, we'll look at what the pandemic and the recovery means for the health service and other key workers, what it means for business and the economy, for the environment and for politics. In this first episode, we're talking about the psychology of adjusting to the new normal. We aren't going back to normal immediately. And the more people can prepare mentally for the way that it's going, the better they'll be able to cope with it. So don't expect too much. The virus still has a lot of room to move. We all want this to be over. We all want to get on with our lives. We need to move away from blanket national measures to enable as many people as possible to live their lives as close to normally as possible in a way which is as fair and as safe as possible. This is 1823 Podcast. After a long period of asking you, the British public, to follow very strict and complex rules to bring coronavirus under control, we can now make life easier for people to see more of their friends and family and to help businesses get back on their feet and people back into jobs. After nearly three months in lockdown, June saw the reopening of non-essential shops in England and the return of professional sport behind closed doors. July brought the socially distanced return of restaurants, cafes and pubs as we inch towards something like normality. But it still doesn't feel normal, does it? And you wonder when it ever will. Uh, to talk about the mental challenge of adjusting to this new way of living, I'm joined by Dr. Mark Forshaw. Mark's a health psychologist and the subject leader in psychology at LJMU. Hello, Mark. Hello there. Hello. How are you doing? How are you coping with everything we're living through at the moment? I'm pretty busy because this has been a, an interesting opportunity to do quite a bit of research, actually. So, so yeah, I've not had any time to twiddle my thumbs. I'll put it that way. No, no. Well, I mean... This is such a strange period we're going through and we talk about transitioning to the new normal. We've seen already with shops, restaurants, cafes opening, just because we are easing restrictions, it doesn't mean that behaviours are instantly going to return to what they were before. I think you're right. And and what's interesting about that, uh, as a psychologist, the, the one thing I always say is people are different. So you've got a range of reactions from different people. And there are some people who never wanted to lock down in the first place. And so actually, in many ways, they're desperate to do all the normal things. And at times that's difficult because sometimes the normal things are not what you're supposed to be doing. So you've got a few people out there who will behave like there's never been a pandemic. The the majority of us, of course, have taken this very seriously, and and rightly so, because it is a significant health threat. You don't close the world down for nothing. And I think so that's a really interesting one, because um, we can't have a a normal straight away. It, It would be impossible to do that. We, as human beings, require some level of adjustment. So for those of us who are a little bit reticent and and, and are not so sure about things. It's going to take some time. I wouldn't say we've forgotten all the things we used to do and the way we used to do them. We would need this to go on for a decade or so before we got to the point where people were really forgetting how to behave. But I do think that, that, you know, it's a little bit like taking two weeks off work and going on holiday. When you come back, it always feels a little bit strange. And that's coming back to the normal world, 
we're coming back to something that isn't normal. So I do think there's a lot to be con considered in terms of our behaviour. And one of the things that we're really going to notice, and we'll notice this in shops, we'll notice this in pubs and restaurants, yeah, they might be open, but the atmosphere won't be the same. And human beings pick up on atmosphere. So in terms of what people might be looking forward to and really thinking, oh, it's great now, isn't it? I can go and have the steak and chips I always wanted for the last three um, three months um, down the road. Yeah, you can, but you'll be doing so in, in a restaurant that feels very different. And I think people need to be prepared for that. They've got to say, what is realistically the next few months going to look like and feel like? We aren't going back to normal immediately. And the more people can prepare mentally for the way that it's going, um, the better they'll be able to cope with it. So don't expect too much is, is the first thing I'd say. You argued in an article recently that you'd written that there's potentially going to be this tension between the people who are reticent and cautious about how we reopen and those who just want to get back to normal straight away. And we've got to live alongside each other and work alongside each other, socialise alongside each other with these two very different perspectives. I think that's right. And, I, and, and what I would say to, to, to it's actually more about those people that are desperate to behave normally. They need to understand that it's what they want to do that at the moment is not the socially acceptable thing to do. It would have been in the past. So standing next to your colleagues, giving people a pat on the back if it's appropriate, if you know them well enough, etc. All of those little things like that may be normal, but they're not now. So even if you're that kind of person that wants to get back to engaging with people in, in the standard ways that we've been doing, you kind of have to realise, no, You've got to respect other people and the fact that there is this health concern. You never know what someone else is thinking or feeling. You never know what their circumstances are. So it could be that they're worried not about themselves, but they're worried about the virus in terms of transmitting it to someone close to them, an elderly parent, etc., etc. So the best thing to do is say, if I'm desperate to get back to normal, I need to think about what other people might want. And therefore, I, 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 I need to be the one who withholds myself a little bit. And that doesn't mean being antisocial, but it means thinking about the ways in which you can be social. That means still keeping your distance from people and still um, wearing a mask if it's appropriate to wear a mask in the conditions you're in and so on. And thinking about those things and whatever your politics on all of this might be. And of course, there's politics bound up with it all. This isn't just health. It's health, politics and the economy all together. Whatever yes. your thoughts about the economy, whatever your own thoughts about health, you've got to remember the people who are worried about it. And, and actually, yeah, we have to dance around a little bit, each other, dance around each other. And that's fine. That's part and parcel of what we do as human beings anyway. We don't just leave the door, leave, um, leave the house at the end at the start of the day. We don't just walk out and then do whatever we like, we're always conscious of other people and what they might feel and how they, they might react to what we do. And I think for some people, you're going to have to be very careful about that one. And I would say to the other people who, who, are, who are reticent, they're going to be the ones who actually feel a little bit guilty because they're not engaging in the normal way. They're the ones keeping the distance, standing back, not wanting to spend too much time with people. For the people doing that, I my message to them would be, hopefully others will understand. Please don't worry about that, because otherwise you'll get you'll get dragged into a situation you're uncomfortable with. 
because you're standing with someone who doesn't want to obey all of the rules. That's a really difficult one. So I think whether it's in a shop or whether it's in the workplace, each person, whatever their opinion, they need to think of what the other person might be feeling and thinking. And sometimes that means addressing that, working out initial conversations with the people you're meeting um, yeah. and, and getting a sense of what they feel about it before you decide to act in the way that might come naturally to you. Yeah, so I don't want to give you a hug at the moment. I don't want to shake your hand, perhaps, that kind of thing. Exactly that. And for, for I mean, we stopped shaking hands now months ago. But I think for many of us, certainly going back into the workplace and so on, that's going to be a very strange thing. We've, we've, we've been OK with that, partly because we've not been in much contact with people. When we're back amongst people, the natural tendency is to do that. We are tactile by nature as human beings. We are a tactile social species. So we do have to think about that, you know, that, and, and, and actually anyone who is offended because someone doesn't want to shake hands needs to understand that and they need to, to enter into the social sphere knowing that that's the case, being aware of that and being sensitive to that. From what you were saying a few moments ago, you don't think that what we've gone through over the past few months will lead to a permanent shift in our state of mind and the way that we behave in society? I don't. I don't. I mean, I think it's really difficult because we've no idea what's coming next. There's, a, there's talk of an, another wave. There's talk of multiple waves in the future. Who knows? We don't know what the medical technologies that, that will arise will do. So we've no idea if we'll get a good vaccine. So we could be talking a number of years of things not being as they used to be before January. We, you know, it is, it is really difficult to judge where we're going with it. But assuming this doesn't become something that's going on for five or 10 years, and that it is a year at most, and we've already seen changes so that we are a little more relaxed, and assuming that doesn't lead to anything bad happening, then I don't think it's going to be a long-term thing at all. But it will be uncomfortable for people for a while as they adjust to what this it's an awful phrase, this new normal. It's it's a it's a, a strange phrase, but because we're always in a new normal, you know, humankind has been adapting for as long as humankind has existed. And there's been a new normal at least every couple of hundred years through the history that we know of. So there's always a new normal. But this is a sudden it's not a gradual change. Um, and I think that that will take a time to adjust to. But I, I'm not worried that in the long term this is going to lead to very much at all. What about the impact on children? Because they're so impressionable and they, they learn from us as adults. Is there any danger that we're now going to get a generation that instinctively remains physically distanced because they've gone through this at such an impressionable time in their lives? That's a really interesting question. And I think, um, of course, that's possible. It is. Indeed, it's possible. And I think partly, as you said, children mirror the actions of their parents. They learn vicariously. And so it is possible that um, a, a child with very reticent, very nervous, very anxious parents is going to develop nervousness and anxiety about these things themselves and is going to be um, therefore reticent about engaging socially with others and so on. Um, to some extent, the pandemic aside, if their parents are, are health anxious people anyway, the child is going to learn those health anxieties regardless of the pandemic. 
Yeah. Just by every time there's something on the news about health, if, if, if you have a parent who is worried about these things, you'll notice that and it will affect the way you think. Similarly, if you have a parent who's very blasé, chances are you're going to be quite blase, blasé as well. So uh, to some extent, the pandemic is a red herring in the sense that you mirror your parents' behaviours. I think one of the interesting things, of course, is that what we have seen over the last um, decade or so is a generation of people who are growing up with technologies which do distance them physically from others anyway. So maybe the pandemic pandemic is also a red herring in that sense, because will children grow up to, to be less... Um, tactile, less engaged with others socially in a face-to-face way, they probably are doing anyway. Because, you know, that classic scenario of kids sitting around the table, each one of them on their phone, and half the time they're they're actually engaging with each other through their phones rather than Hmm. looking up and speaking to their brother or sister directly. We've seen that happening, so we know that's where it's going anyway. So we have a bigger issue in terms of, as a psychologist, there's there's certainly a bigger issue around how that's going to pan out. I think the pandemic might have exaggerated that a bit. It might accelerate that a bit. But we've been going in that direction anyway, I'd argue. Is there anything comparable to COVID-19 and the lockdown and what we've gone through in terms of the the trauma that it's given us collectively. I assume wartime would be the most obvious thing, but outside of that, have we ever been through anything like this before together? If you say, if by we, of course, you mean the people of the UK, then I, I don't think we have. I think the the in, in many respects, the war was the nearest thing we came to in that respect because of some of the strictures, such as the lockdown. You know, nothing. There's been nothing that drastic as such. Um, in other countries, of course, we've had MERS and we've had swine flu. We've had, um, you know, avian flu. We've had various things around and various pandemics that we've been able to learn from that have happened over time, but not in the UK. So you've got the added thing of culture on top of that, which really does have a big part to play in how people sort of behave towards each other and in relation to the state giving them messages about their health and what they can and can't do. I think one of the other things to remember, and again, it's generational, so it's not necessarily the case for for younger people, but certainly anyone my age and older will, of course, remember things like the Cold War and and the, the level of fear that people lived under because they thought there would be a nuclear war. And it's now so long ago, and it's hard to express that to a 20-year-old. Really, we did grow up thinking that someone was going to bomb us and we'd all be finished yeah that was a a nagging fear it was an anxiety that affected the country to some degree a lot of our arts and, and and so on and our media were obsessed with it so you know you look back to things like the the classic tv play threads which is all about a nuclear holocaust essentially we made programs like that because it was worrying us We also had things like um, AIDS. So in the early days when we didn't know very much about it, we didn't know much about its transmission. We didn't we certainly couldn't do anything like we can now in terms of um, protecting people against contracting HIV um, and so on. And and the the drugs we now have that 
almost it seem are it seems are effectively for some people eradicating the virus from within their bodies. For most of us growing up in that era, again, we had that fear that you know we had to be very careful, and that affected people's behaviour. I think sexually and socially. Those are the nearest things we've come to in the last sort of 50 years, I'd say, where there's been something hanging over us that has potentially changed the way we do things. But not to this extent and not sort of compressed into a time period of six months, which is where we're at now. We've seen so much change in that six months. And that's that's different from a thing hanging over us for 20 years that might or might not happen. But that's the nearest I, could, I can think of that would would in any way kind of match it. You're listening to 1823 Podcast. The worst is yet to come. I'm sorry to say that, but with this kind of environment and condition, we fear the worst. This is not even close to being over. That's Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, the Director General of the World Health Organization. Clearly, we're not through COVID-19 by a long way. And Mark, having sacrificed so much and come so far, any reimposition of restrictions as we're seeing now, not just in England, in Leicester, but we're seeing it in the United States, in Australia, in Spain, all around the world, that must be so difficult to come to terms with psychologically, having come so far. Yeah, I, I think it is. And there is an argument, without getting too much into the politics of it, there is an argument of saying that if we, the fact that we have relaxed things has potentially made that worse, because what we've done is said, OK, you can go out again now. So if we now need to say, no, no, you can't, stop it, go back in, go back to what you went to, through before, there is an argument for saying that that's actually more damaging to the psyche. Um, because it's sort of dangling the, the 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 rewards for that lockdown period and then taking yes. them away again. And actually, that's very bad for people. I mean, you know, it, it's it's not the same. But, it, you know, you take something like a hostage situation. If you if you if you're if you're if you kidnap someone, then what you'll often do is give them a reward and snatch it away because that's more punishing to that person. It makes that person's life more miserable. If you wish to make someone's life miserable, dangle things in front of them and pull them away again. People adapt to misery if it's long term in some ways better than in and out and in and out. So I I do worry that that's actually a, a concern that we might have, that it's harder for people because they thought it was all over and then it's back again. You know, you, and actually, you think of the awful situation that many people do face where they have something like cancer and then they get the all clear and then five years later, something's back. And how awful that is and how for many people that's so much more difficult than living with cancer for a longer period of time and just going through it for as long as it takes. The in and out of that situation, equally relapsing, remitting diseases of the sort where you can have a good day and a bad day, they can take it out of people more than living in a permanent state of bad days because it's yeah. harder to just get used to it. So I do think we've got an interesting time ahead in that respect. If we do have to go back into lockdown, it's going to be difficult for people mentally. I, 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 and there are no easy answers to that because we have to do what we have to do to keep people safe. But that is going to have its impact on mental health. 
And that is already a problem that we're facing as a society anyway, with the large numbers of people who are suffering from mental health issues, even before the pandemic came along. This can only make a bad situation worse, can't it? I think that's the case. Yeah, I mean, we we know from the data that have been coming in over the over the months that um, the lockdown and the situation itself has pushed people further down the line of anything that they already felt. So we know that many people who had depression were likely to become more depressed in this situation because it was hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel that is important for someone with depression to try to find. Um, and you think of other things, anyone with a social phobia, anyone with a fear of going out or a fear of engaging with others, if they have that mildly, but they can function and it's difficult for them, but they can get out and about, they can go to work. Once you lock them down, essentially they go further down that that um, because they don't get to practice going out amongst other people. You take something like obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, we've already seen cases where people with things like compulsive hand washing problems have been driven for that to accelerate because we've all been told to wash our hands far more and for longer. So if yeah. you're already washing your hands 20 times a day, 30 times a day, more than that in some cases, then being told that's a good thing now has taken away all the good work you might have done to control that hand washing behaviour so that you didn't end up with bloody raw hands each day because of the desire to do that. And it's really about just pushing people further along a line they're already on. So any one of us in, in lockdown conditions could develop a mental health problem such as OCD or a social phobia or depression. So you might have no sign of it and this is enough to just push you because you were kind of you know, just behind others in terms of where you your natural set point might be. Others will be have fairly extreme variants of this and it will just get worse for them. Um, it's hard to see the positives in terms of mental health, except for those people who've been able to reframe the experience. And I wouldn't say that um, it makes you a better person if you've been able to do that, we're all different. Some people can can find these ways through it and some people can't. And that's just a matter of, of just accident of birth almost. But if you can reframe things so that you can see your experience as something that you're learning from and you're able to reflect on it and positively find elements of what you've been experiencing that you can learn from. And, and this this thing about that, which does not kill me, makes me stronger. If you can see that and you can see, OK, I'm probably tougher than I thought I was because I've been able to get through this. If you can do that kind of thing, it's going to stand you in better stead in the future. So if we do end up in another lockdown, you can say, I've done it before and I coped before. The bigger concern is the people that really felt that they didn't cope because for them, it's going to wash all over them again. And they've only just got dry from last time, as it were. Yeah. What are the strategies and techniques that people could perhaps use to try and learn those lessons as you say to try and help us adapt to this new way of living well i think it's interesting because um i would i would regard a lot of what we have been feeling in relation to um grief so if you look at kubler ross's famous five stages of grief a lot of what's happened up till now 
we've been following those five stages and then we go in and out of these when someone dies but when something was taken away from us um we 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 which the lockdown did the pandemic has taken some things away from us in some cases horribly it's taken our loved ones away from us in other cases it's taken our normal life away so those stages the first one of those is a, is, is often a denial well we've seen people saying there is no pandemic it's a conspiracy it's the phone masts it's this that and the other we've seen that so some people have been going through that denial phase or saying it's just the flu it'll be all right we've seen that happen we've seen another stage um, which is characteristic of grief which is anger so we've seen people getting annoyed who can i blame for this which country gave it to us who brought it to britain all of those sorts of things which are dangerous and actually anger is one of those things that burns away at you so that's the first thing one is denial so okay accept what it is for the reality that it is and research it as a real phenomenon don't deny it that's your first step really because then you're counteracting your natural feelings the next one is don't get angry about it because actually it's here and there's nothing you can do the anger is just going to eat away at you the next step that comes in a grief cycle is often bargaining so this is oh if only i can just do this and we've seen that in terms of people saying well i know it's breaking the lockdown but if i it won't be too bad if i go and see one of my friends hmm. but again we have to say okay there is no bargaining to be done the virus is there and it could affect me and others or not and there are things i can do so it's not about bargaining because it isn't magical it's a real thing that it works in a particular way one of those other things is around depression so it's some it's it's usual for people like experiencing things being taken away from them to get sad about it um that's the hardest one to counteract of course because that's really about saying how do you make sure that your life is fulfilling and entertaining so that you don't feel that and the most important one which is the last stage of grief and actually this is what we need to be thinking about going forward is acceptance the pandemic is what it is it's here it's real it's affecting people it's killing some people it's horrible and this is what we have to do and life has to be different for as long as it takes to get rid of this thing or suppress it enough that it's not having significant effects on our population and that means we have to accept what it does to our lives and instead of saying well it's not fair well sometimes things are not fair that's awful i know but actually some things are not fair so the sooner we can kind of focus on those things and say okay how can i come to terms with it and accept it for what it is how can i make the most of the pleasurable moments in my life by focusing on them and saying okay i can't quite do things in the way i used to but i can still do some things that i enjoy remembering what they are and making sure you do them and as i said really it's about reflection if you just kind of bury your head in the sand and pretend it's not happening it's not going to get you anywhere the main thing is to say who am i what am i and how do i do this how what is the right path for me and how can i come to terms with what is happening to me and those that i love and my friends and my colleagues 
And how can we make the best of the situation? Because that's a really crucial thing. Finding a way to make the best of the situation is what gets you through things. And that applies to everything. There's there's literally probably nothing in life where it isn't helped by finding the best way through it. But that does differ from individual to individual. So if I was working with um, a particular person, I'd, I'd get to know who they are to help them find what they've got going for them, what's good in their life, what skills they have, focusing on those and saying, can I use these for the good? Can I use these skills I have to protect myself and the others around me? When you're talking about a population, it's much more difficult. And it's really just about saying to each individual, please think, think about what you can do. Think about what you are learning from what you are experiencing. And that is probably the crucial message. Identify learning points for you. Um, I don't believe it when someone says, oh, there's nothing I'll have learned from this. I think that's dismissing it without having had a go. That's what I'd say try and find the things you've learned from it that would make that you so you can say I'm stronger and I have a skill I didn't have before or I found skills that I didn't know I had. Thank you Mark that's really fascinating and I think a lot of people listening in will will find that really helpful in adapting to our our new lives and our, our new way of doing things so thank you and thanks for coming on to the podcast to talk us through it. You're welcome. That's Dr. Mark Forshaw, uh, and I'll leave you now with a flavour of what we'll be discussing next in the next episode in our mini-series. 1823 Podcast. As this was unfolding and patients were coming into the hospitals ill, um, we were learning more about it, but we were obviously learning about that quite slowly. So all of the essential kind of treatment plans were activated for patients who present in a particular way, maybe with breathing difficulties or infection and these types of things. But all of the time, little specific aspects of the COVID infection, the way in which they presented themselves on things like blood results, on x-rays, on scans, we'd never seen this before.